Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey, everybody, it's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our awesome listeners, and now Danielle's going to tell you all about it. No, I'm not. Brendan Carter is going to tell you about it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's happened. Well, guys, this is, uh, you know, it's a book club. Uh, it's an all-Hellboy book club, but also BPRD and Witchfinder and lobster johnson so uh, various other things and you read them and we tell you what we're going to read and, and then you read it and then you tell us what you think and that's hey you damn guys and yeah. then we read that and we tell you what we think about your hey you damn guys and then we eventually get to the book of the day after a lot of talking <laughs> and oh. then we talk about that and we tell you to get the fuck out and come back next week yeah, it's a book club. It's a book club. Very good, awesome. Hey, Brendan Carter. Hey, it's Brendan Carter. Brendan Carter, book club Bo- member. Yeah, book club member. Thank you, Brendan, for hanging out with us on our debriefing episode. That was so much fun. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to give a shout out to Tyler Crook and Cadence Comic Art. Okay. I got that awesome commission from Tyler Crook, the Ben Daimio. Yeah. Half Daimyo, half Wear Jaguar. If you great. haven't seen it yet, I posted it on social media. Really went all out it with that. It is fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so incredible. I was so happy. I was going for like a Peter Parker Spider-Man vibe. It's fully painted too, which yeah. is wild. And he even drew like the Spidey the little, sense yeah. lines around <laughs> it. Yeah, so I shared that on social media and really good. Crook responded. He actually said that was a particularly fun one. Oh, yeah, oh, it's nice. always good when it's you. It's nice yeah. when like the commission is something that you're gonna be Absolutely. like, cool, you know. That's great. He also shared it in his Instagram stories Fun. and stuff like that. So I was like, awesome, that's great. Hey, and I wanted to shout out Matt Strackbine and Ross Radke. Matt Strackbine and Ross Radke, book club members, book artists club extraordinaires, members. and true. sometimes co-hosts that's on our also. awesome show. Yeah, and probably co-hosts coming up soon because I got a shout out. We talked about they're gonna be doing their project together. Oh, well, it's been announced. Shit. It's a comic. Mm-hmm. Book. It's called Milagro. Yeah. And yes. it is going to be the Kickstarter is going to kick off on 7521, a 68 page contemporary fight comic told in the Grindhouse noir style of traditional luchador pop culture. <laughs> hashtag Milagro comic. And they have a Twitter that you can follow right now at Comic Milagro if you want to get all hyped up for it. You know, I was actually reading about this. They have a fight consultant. Wow. Um, they have... Um, like a choreographer guy? I'm going to get so many extra backing rewards. The writer is Guillermo Zagara. He's doing the story, the script, the fight choreography, and the editing. Ross Radke is doing the pencils and the inks, the cover art, and the character designs. And Matt is the creator. And he's doing the colors, the lettering, the book design, and the production. Jeez. So that is going to be an amazing project. I am so excited Ross has some awesome teaser art that you can go check out. Golly. And if you've been supporting Stunning. Ross, you know that uh, part of our Kickstarter rewards for his last issue of Stomped, where we were going to get a black and white eight-page short story starring his character Kim Corgan that just came out. Yeah. So if you're a fan of Ross's or if you backed that, you know, go check out that extra comic that we got as part of our stretch goals and make sure to follow at Comic Milagro on twitter so you can get ready for their awesome kickstarter i'm so pumped to support their project that's great and the art that ross is doing looks incredible it looks brutal i'm excited for it it looks savage so two hellboy book club boys yes yes psyched awesome two hellboy book club boys working together book club team it's gonna be fucking awesome i'm so excited this is great and now we're gonna go on to our listener feedback get out Copies, get out hardback copies digital is fine read along in time get we had a hey you damn guys from andrew adair andrew adair book club member yeah yeah i was actually talking to andrew you know he did our Witchfinder theme yeah Witchfinder. Witchfinder. Um, i was messaging him and i said you know you should put your stuff up like maybe Listeners might want to get a copy of that Witchfinder theme. You know, everybody seemed to like it so much. 
I was like, uh, I, I would totally pump it on the show if you started like a band camp or something. And so he responded to that. Um, you have that one, Aubrey? Uh, yeah. So Andrew uh, said, um, thanks for the kind words and the response. I had thought of putting my stuff on iTunes, but never really got around to it. Your suggestion of using Bandcamp kind of gave me the nudge I needed. I didn't think it would be cool to charge members of the book club for the music. One, because I used your voices and ideas for the song, which is what people really are liking most anyway. And two, because... The reason I sent it to you guys was really I wanted to give something back to the show you work so hard on and I get so much out of. Ah, awesome. So I put it up there for free along with some other music. People can pay something if they like, but they don't have to. More music will be following. The link is andrewadair.bandcamp.com. I'm going to link Andrew's Bandcamp in our link tree. You can check that out on Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our link tree in our Facebook About section. I'll put it in there, too. Definitely go check out his music. That is so awesome. What a great job. Then Andrew goes on to say, uh, I'm always behind on the show, but I'm liking The Lost Army. Wasn't sure if I could get into it without much of the art, but it surprised me. I'm hoping at some point you guys are thinking of getting into the Outerverse stuff on the podcast, dying to talk about Joe Gollum and Baltimore and all the new stuff that's coming out. Ah, oh, yeah. I don't know. A lot of people have asked if we're going to do the Baltimore stuff. I don't know yet. I don't know if we're going to do all that stuff. I'd rather somebody else do that and I could be a guest on that show occasionally or something like that. So <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I'm not ready to commit to all of that, but I would be happy to help somebody if they wanted to do that. You know, I'd like to be the, uh, the Aubrey or Danielle to somebody else's Baltimore podcast or whatever. So anyway, yeah, I don't know. Ideas for the future, right? Right. We also heard from Justin Obody. Justin Obody. Book club member. Regarding the Lost Army, I love Golden's take on Hellboy. I found his email and I wrote him about it. He wrote back in an email thanking me. I was very surprised and honored by the interaction. Very good memory. Ah, that was nice. Yeah. Glad to hear that cool. Christopher Golden is like an approachable, cool guy. And uh, Hayden Orr said. Hayden Orr. Book club member. That's right. Great episode, you damn guys. I actually haven't read this novel before you guys decided to cover it on here. Honestly, I have to say, it's not exactly my favorite at the moment. The prose is well written. I enjoy Christopher Golden's other work and his other collaborations with Mignola. There's just something about it that's not catching me like the Elder Golden novels. I kind of agree with that a little bit, you know? Right. Um, I think it's mainly the Lahiri stuff and just how horned up the relationship between Anastasia and Hellboy is. I understand that if Hellboy were real and had past relationships, surely he'd have had sex before. And I'm not saying I think he should be a sexless character. Agree. Right. Yeah. Uh, it just feels a bit odd since, as far as I'm aware, Mignola and Golden haven't really focused on that aspect before, especially when it's a story Mignola is writing himself. Sex isn't an important aspect of that character's life if you just go by a majority of the comics. The only time I can recall Hellboy being implied to have sex was in Macoma. I think it could be wrong. No, I, there is a scene in that where, yeah, it right. seems like they're going to do it. And that particular scene might not even be implying that. Well, we, I mean, we kind of think it is. And I, you know, well, I'm just going to finish reading this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Hellboy's obviously implied to have had sex in the Del Toro films, but his and Liz's relationships isn't overtly sexual in any real way. The character has a handful of love interests, but the love they share is almost always shown in a less sexual light. It just feels odd for it to be focused on it so much here. Same with the Lahiri stuff, and no other characters really seem to have explicitly shown sex lives. Even when Howards and Liz start dating, the most that ever gets shown is a kiss and them sleeping in the same bed. So to have a character who becomes supernaturally horny and violent out of nowhere <laughs> feels out of left field for a Hellboy story. And I can stomach that type of thing if it's in the right setting. My favorite genre of films is horror, and unfortunately that means a lot of the films I like usually have some type of sexual violence or other more awful implied stuff in there. Those times uh, feel like it makes sense because those worlds are usually hyper-violent and overly sexual to begin right, with. Right, okay. Hearing a guy call a girl a filthy slut makes sense in a Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but is really unexpected in a Hellboy story. Yeah, so I feel like set and setting, right? If you're yeah, going yeah. into it, you know, expecting that type of thing, if you're going into a horror film that's really been billed as... The sluts are going to get punished. <laughs> you know, you're going into that like, okay, I'm expecting this when I watch this movie and um, that kind of thing. And so, like you said, you know, it, in the past it's been, obviously it's been implied that these people all have personal lives and they're going to, some of them are going to end up having relationships and some of those relationships are going to end up being sexual. And so it's like, sure, some of it is implied, but it's like, it's never really like the nitty gritty, the focus on the details. Right. Of it, it's never really been 
the main focus. We're not exploring that. It's not really the writing style that we're used to. And so if you're if you're reading a story where that's in it the whole way through and you're expecting that in this universe of like, yeah, there's going to be some overtly sexual stuff. They're going to go into detail in these relationships and all this stuff. If that's the focus of it and you're expecting it, that's one thing. And I feel like if you're going into that knowing that, then it's that's fair enough. But I went into this absolutely not expecting that, which sure, I feel yeah. is not really... I don't know. It's not really my favorite thing I've ever read. So. Sure. Okay. And um, which again, maybe it's not for me. Maybe you know. Obviously, there's an audience for this. It's just like I feel like this isn't for me, and I recognize that, and I think that's fine. Not everything is going to be for me, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. So I feel you on that, Hayden. Or yeah. Yeah, that was some good feedback. So, Thank yeah. you for that. Really great points there about set yeah. and setting. I like that. Um, you know, even when like. Remember when Abe saved Grace and she was like right. chained up in some house on a mattress? Like even then, it wasn't like we didn't really know what was happening. They didn't tell us. Well, it was... we do, but we're grown. We can like yeah. make that inference. Yeah. You don't, we don't need to, to explicitly yeah. say. And then he did this to her, and this is exactly what happened. Right. All this yeah, stuff. Like yeah. well, I don't need that. Nobody yeah. needs that. Yeah. And so, well, some people maybe want that, and that's your thing. That's not really what any of us went into that expecting. And so, I'm glad that they kind of just didn't go there and they didn't take it there and here they kind of really took it there and i have yeah. a hard time being like hmm. what kind of a yeah. book is this like right. i don't know yeah i wonder if they tried to like go i mean this is a late 90s and this was early in the series maybe they tried to go hey this is a novel let's do some raunchy hellboy and then they were like nah. who wants that though they were like nah let's take a step back <laughs> We don't need any of that in our stories. And again, I, I said yeah. who wants that, but there are some people who probably want that, and sure. that's what fan fiction is for. Right. And have a field day, have a good time writing that. That's fine. I'm sure people, there are people who would love to read that. But again, they're going to go into that knowing what they're getting into, yeah. and so it's kind of like I kind of went into this. I came out of this book being like, "What did I read?" I don't know. I kind of was just sort of all over the place with this book. Yeah. I guess, so I don't know. But yeah, Hayden or. Good feedback. I feel like a lot of us are kind of dialed into what you're talking about. Yeah. I feel like it's more just about like, ah, cool, weird lore and stuff, you yeah. know, which is kind of what you yeah. get into it for. Everyone online has been enjoying the art. You know, I've been posting the images. Yeah, the art is great. You know, a lot of people haven't read these books, so they're like, oh my God, I haven't seen these There's these Mignola great, pictures yeah. before. Um, I posted this one of Hellboy and all the webs. That was a really right, cool yeah. one that we talked about last week. It's kind of like a mummy. Yeah, that was a good one. Jason Abaddon said... Jason Abaddon. Book club member. He said, almost a Larry Stroman look to this one. I was like, Larry Stroman? How do I how do I know that name? And then I looked him up and I was like, oh, I totally know who this guy is. He did like the weird X-Factor stuff in the 90s with like Strong Guy. You know, know what I'm talking about? Is. Oh, yeah. He yeah, did a lot of the right X-Books and he has almost like a Mignola-esque style. Oh, okay. It's really cool. I was like, wow, that's a blast from the past. You know, I totally know that guy's work. And then... Um, I couldn't find the comment, but oh, somebody. Oh, X Factor. No, I know. I know what you're talking about now. I'm sorry. Yeah, Polaris. <laughs> that took me a second. Yeah, yeah, multiple, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I know X Factor. I was. That took me a second. I'm sorry. My brain totally shorted out. For a second. Do you remember in the '90s there was like a yeah. period where they were drawing them very exaggerated yeah, looking? Yeah, I do. Remember and it was, that. it was almost like it was um, wild, man. It's a God. blast from the past. Though. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that was some good stuff. Yeah. Well. And and somebody else also said online. I couldn't find the comment, though. I went back and looked for it, but I swore somebody was like, oh, the, I thought this was Frank Miller. Yeah. Yeah, because it does kind of have that look to it as well. Right. Interesting. Yeah. And now we're going to wrap up our actual book club this week <laughs> with Hellboy the Lost Army. This was published in July 1st, 1997, written by Christopher Golden, illustrations by Mignola. The audiobook, which we're also enjoying, is narrated by Wayne Mitchell. Today we're wrapping up the story. We're finishing chapter 15 through the end. So when we last left off, the army guys, we have Cregan, he's from the MI5, and we have Colonel Shapiro from the army, and they had just gotten to the Oasis to kind of seek shelter from this storm, and then they saw that all the lost army are also coming for them. In the very beginning, there's this reference. It says, Colonel Shapiro is from Cincinnati, and he remembered all too well what happened to 11 unfortunate concert goers trying to get into a Who concert. So that is something that, unfortunately, that really did happen in December 3rd, 1979. That is something awful that did actually happen. 
He also mentions the phrase, there was that old saying, stacked up like cordwood. Cordwood is normally stacked up against the side of a shed, perhaps. It's even measured in cords, which is a volume of stacked wood. And I couldn't find like where that phrase originates from, but it's mm. been used like a yeah. lot, stacked up like cordwood. And so basically, all of the army guys, all basically anyone who's still alive at this point, they're all like trapped in this little... Yeah. They've put themselves in this circle surrounded by all the vehicles. And so uh, I thought this was interesting because, you know, these two guys, Cregan and Shapiro, they started off, you know, threatening each other and being really pissed off. And here it says that Shapiro actually wanted really badly to talk to Cregan and find out why they were there and what they were doing, what all this was about, because he's just some American from the outside. <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's a storm with eyes and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, he doesn't know anything. Right. All of a sudden, one of the guys runs up and he's like, we've got company. I like this sentence here. Um, the wind battered his eardrums until everything became white noise. Yet out of that cacophony, one sound rose and crystallized. You know, so there there are still little gems in there that I've, you know, come to expect from the last Christopher Golden novel that we read. There were some sentences in there that were just, ah, oh, chef's kiss. Oh, yeah, no, gold. there's been a lot of great stuff and in so, here. And um, so... One sound rose and crystallized, a man shouting his name. And so then he turned around and all this, but then they have there. So they have to shout to be heard over the sound of this raging sandstorm. Yeah. Here, but I just like the way that he phrased that. I thought that was really interesting. He's like, how could a man, never mind thousands of men, an entire army come through that storm? And Colonel Shapiro's like, Libyans? He still thinks, he's still thinking in terms yeah. of the <laughs> American, you know, right. it makes like... There's it like makes, a war and Yeah, whatever. it makes all that stuff seem so trivial so, yeah. at this point. It also talks about when the MI5 guys come, like Shapiro kind of envies them, how cool they are, the way they swing their guns out so quick and all that kind of stuff. Right. They're all like super well trained. And here's another sentence like you were talking about danielle the major comes over he tries to talk to shapiro the rest of the major's words were taken away by the wind he's got away yeah you know, i like with, that with that and so it's cregan it's their guys they're coming up and shapiro at first is like ah here's this guy we're gonna get into it again but then he sees the look of panic on cregan's face and he's like oh something really is happening you know this advancing army that the other guy was talking about uh, so Cregan gets there, he looks around at the tanks, he sees, like, what little is left. He's like, Jesus, this is bloody suicide. But there's no time for that. All right, then. He pulls himself together. He's like, Captain, I advise you and your men take cover. They block any holes in their little blockade that they've made there. He says, listen quickly, and maybe a miracle will happen. You know Hellboy's reputation. You know what he does. Accept it now, or we're dead. You Americans always talk about the Alamo, Cregan yelled. Well, here's your own personal Alamo, Colonel. Get all your men on and behind those vehicles with their weapons ready. Turn the tank turrets out. We've got a killing circle quickly closing in. Nearly 50,000 men, if I'm correct. And he's like, again, he's like, Libyans? 50,000 Libyans? No, Persians. There aren't any more Persians. <laughs> <laughs> you want to take... And he's like, but they don't have projectile weapons, you know, like if we can just like blow them away, but we've got to destroy them. You know, we can't, there's no prisoners. They just have swords and axes. They don't have guns. And so he's like describing, it's like, we get it. They're an ancient undead army. We yeah. get it. Like, come on. He's like, they're dead. They're already dead. They just need to be obliterated. But I did want to mention, he talks about the Alamo. Uh, the Battle of the Alamo was in 1836. This was a pivotal event in the Texas Revolution. Following a 13-day siege, Mexican troops under President General Santa Ana reclaimed the Alamo mission in modern-day San Antonio. That's where I'm from. Yeah. And the Alamo is actually really small. If you actually yeah, ever it's visit it, it's a really small little mission. Most of the Texan army were killed. Santa Ana's cruelty during the battle inspired many Texans and Tejanos to join the Texan army, motivated by revenge. They defeated the Mexican army at the Battle of San Jacinto, ending that rebellion. And that's where they said, remember the Alamo? Mm, they yeah. were like, this is specifically for that. Right. Like, we're beating you today, like, specifically because of what happened over there. So that's right. where that phrase, remember the Alamo, comes from. When we last left, Hellboy and Anastasia has read the evil magician was leading them to the Citadel. <laughs> So they've got Anastasia with a knife to her throat, and they're taking Hellboy up the steps to this, like, altar thing. They've got him chained up with these heavy iron fetters. When he tries to test them, he finds that he can't get out, so he's like, oh, well, this is 
there's something a little bit more to these chains. They're magical chains or something, you know. So when they get in there, this citadel, it's like a cathedral. There's the altar. There's the pool also in there. And there's all the sorcerer's followers. There were hundreds of what Hellboy could only think of as normal humans. Not because they were normal, really. Not hardly. They were odd-looking, pale as Atlanteans, and brutally strong. And then so Hazred comes out and they all get all quiet and Hellboy says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. This is a line spoken by the Wizard of Oz, played by Frank Morgan in the film The Wizard of Oz, directed by Victor Fleming in 1939. I was trying to find out if that line is in the book, too, The Wonderful World of Oz, but I couldn't find that detail. Have you read that book? Have either of you read that book? No. Uh, my sister has. Oh, okay. Ask her if that line's in there. <laughs> maybe she'll remember i'll, I'll ask she probably wouldn't she remember remembers. is this one specific line in there okay pay no attention to that man behind the curtain there's also those little gangly mutant guys the underdwellers. not like the others the dwarves or whatever they were were protecting their king under the mountain it says in quotations the king under the mountain also called the king of erebor was the hereditary title of the dwarven ruler who resides at the lonely mountain the king under the mountain was also, by right, the king of Durin's folk from the 1937 novel The Hobbit by Tolkien. Also, have you ever heard uh, that song, uh, In the Hall of the Mountain King? You ever heard that one? Yeah, well, who is that? There's been a bunch of people who've done that, but like my favorite version of it, there's this guy who's really fucking going for it. <laughs> yes. Who is it? Yeah, so good. Savatage. God, look at this man. He looks like Meatloaf. Savatage. Savatage. Oh, let me look them up on a Wikipedia and make sure they're not Nazis or something horrible. Hold on. <laughs> you never know, re really. No, days. no, I mean, you never know. They're all like anti-vaxxers or something horrible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, they're American. Savatage. That's shocking to me. I thought they would be like norwegian or something okay uh i don't see any controversy section here okay. in the wiki so maybe it's safe but yeah sa savatage nice. i can't remember where i've heard this but it stuck with me obviously so yeah anyway <laughs> that's been heavy metal corner yeah sorry i just found another piece of music that's called in the hall of the mountain king but it's like a symphony Wait, isn't that um, from Fantasia? So that's by, let's see here, this performance is by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra, but it's originally composed by Edvard Grieg in 1875. Nice! Uh, for the sixth scene of Act Two and Henrik Ibsen's 1867 play, Pierre Gint. Okay. Nice! Yeah. Okay. Hazred, he addresses all the people, and he's like, Marty Koo's going to come down, he's going to inhabit Hellboy, and we're going to become rulers of the world because of this. We're going to enslave everybody, beginning with her, but he's speaking in the guttural language, and he just points to Anastasia, and she just starts screaming, because to her, she just sees yeah. someone like with this guttural thing, and then they point at you, you're yeah. just like, what the fuck, what's going to yeah. happen to me now? <laughs> then he comes over to Hellboy... And he gets, like, some blood mixture gross stuff out of a Come bucket on, and starts, like, man. putting it all over his... Gross. Smearing it all over his chest. Gross. Hazred looks over and he's like, oh, I see Lady Catherine's head over there. So he goes over and he, like, pulls it out and he looks at it. You must be really lonely, Hellboy says. Has it occurred to you that that's a head? You know, that lady is dead. Yeah. Wanna, what's wrong with you? All he's still stuff. trying to talk to her, right? Yeah. And he's like, Hazred says she is still here, demon. Be certain of it. Hellboy thinks of how Lady Catherine tried to warn them about the spiders and the jackal medallion. That was all stuff that was going to, like, fuck them up later. But he says he can't really blame her. I like this line. The dead were confused as a rule. <laughs> Death did that. The lure of the afterlife and the need to complete unfinished business was pretty stressful from all accounts. So as an oracle, Lady Catherine had been less than perfect. I tried, she whispers. That's pretty good. I like that. Right. Like the excuse for her being super vague and thus creating all the events in the story by like just omitting some pretty simple information right. is that. No, but it's 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 a good 
you know, explanation. It's like, oh, well, the reason that this entire plot of this book had to happen was because when you're dead, it's super confusing and it's a little hazy and you can't really focus and it's like hard to... It's hard to do anything, and, and so the fact that she got as far as she did is impressive. So that's that's like I like that. That's well, cool. And, and you think about Hellboy; he's been quote unquote dead for so long, and he's always confused. He like killed. Yeah. He killed Satan. And he didn't even know that he had done it. Sure, you know yeah. what I mean. Absolutely. Like while he was after he de- quote unquote died. So right. Yeah, I totally see that. It's not one of those explanations that you're like, all right, that's very contrived. It's more. You could, I could see that. Like, okay, that that makes sense. Nice. Right. All right, good. And I like this too because when she says "I tried," he goes, "You did great." <laughs> she goes, "The soldiers need your help. Your friend Cregan needs your help." And he's like, "That's well and good, but I'm still a prisoner right now. I can't break out of these bonds." She says, "Hazred is powerful but not omnipotent. Calling his master will require great focus. Remember, you will need the tablet." So he's like, "What? Oh, that tablet fell in the water." When they were fighting with uh, Lahiri, the jackal man, in the last set of chapters. And so, just as Hellboy got the idea that she might be gone for good, the head starts decaying. So, finally, right. you know, like... It's, the head began to decay rapidly. Yeah. So, it, like, it caught up with all the decay that should have happened between now and then, I guess, when right. she actually died. Which is pretty interesting. It was oh. enchanted. Hazred is shouting all this stuff as he's, like, calling Marty Koo and all this kind of stuff. And... There's this one phrase that says, Atuk Zul. I was like, oh, that's obviously just some made up thing, but I'm going to, you know me, I'm going to put it in Google anyway. <laughs> sure, yeah. No, so this is actually a thing. It's a great demon lord and head of a diabolic cult. His worshippers have to sacrifice scores of men regularly to keep its manifestation in Jeez. physical space. There's a lot of weird, I was thinking, like, is Christopher Golden into some weird Sumerian shit? Because. Sure. There are some really obscure gods that were difficult to find. So Anu has obviously been referenced so many times in the Hellboy verse. So that's interesting that they use him this early on too. He's a Mesopotamian sky god. I like that that he is address. This guy is addressing all these different men of plague gods, Pazuzu, yeah, and and all Ninkigal and all this stuff. Right, it's great. So Pazuzu was the king of we know of, the, of the demons of the wind. Yeah. He also represented the southwestern wind, the bearer of storms and drought. So that totally is in line with the desert. Sure, you know, and that kind well, of well. The wind this whole time has been like yeah. You can't even hear over it. It's so loud. And Ninkingal was another weird one that I could only find like barely any kind of reference to, but it is related to some sort of Sumerian mythology. I couldn't find anything for Eng, E-N-G, which he also uh, references. I'm sure that that's an actual thing as well. So he's doing his whole ceremony, and while he's doing it, he produces a gleaming dagger whose blade curved back and forth like a still unmoving snake. And he cuts his hand. Why do they always cut their I, hand? I I, you know I hate that. <laughs> I just can't. It's just it really bothers me. There has to me. be a better place right to in cut the palm. yourself. Like they that's not going to heal. They drag the blade right across the palm of your hand. There's too many lines right there. And you, you are have to close constantly your hand moving all the time. your hand, and you've got to grab stuff with your hand. And it's just like why? Like any other place. Maybe the demon ritual only only works if you cut it from the like inconvenient places on the body. Yeah, right. Golly. They're like in between the toes. Right, back of your knees. Just the worst. Uh, <laughs> and then he starts drifting it on Hellboy's uh. face. Hellboy's like, "Cut the crap, will ya?" That's one of those. That's one of those tropes that I absolutely cannot abide. Yeah. You see it constantly, and it's just off. I mean, I get it. It's just so dramatic. I get it, but it just makes no sense. I would love for one movie. <laughs> I would love for one movie where the guy is like, he's just drawing it across his forearm or something. Yeah, and someone's like, what yeah. are you doing? And he's like, I'm not going to cut my palm. That's so stupid. Why would I do that? <laughs> you know, I would just love something like that. Anyway, sorry. And Hellboy glances over, and he saw a hole in the world. In reality, a dimensional tear whose yeah. outer edges swirled like heat mirage sweltering through pavement in August. The center was pure darkness, but not flat. It had depth, and a fetid breeze seemed to flow from that opening. You know, as far as attempting to describe something that really can only be communicated visually, he had a really good go. Yeah, he had a really awesome. good go at it. He like had a good that. go of it, and you know what? That's that's a really stellar effort. I think that that's um, I wouldn't have been able to do a better job at that. How about you? Like that's, I was impressed with that. And a lot of this is. Hazred doing this sort of spell or something. You get the idea that he's like conjuring 
um, just by the way he's talking. These are the ghouls, the spirit of the harlot that died in the streets, the spirit of the woman that died in childbirth, the spirit of the woman that died weeping, the spirit of an evil man, one that haunts the streets. And so he's like, this is kind of going on for a while. They all start chanting Martiku, everyone in the in the Citadel too, all the followers. They're like all screaming it. And then all of a sudden... I like this little guy here. Yeah, there was a buzzing or chittering noise like locusts or crickets or 10 million ball bearings shaken (laughs) together, tossed against one another. He started the dimensional rift as it began to grow wider. We get a nice illustration here by Mignola of a scarab. I like this little guy. Scarab beetles flying out from the dimensional hole in reality. Yeah. It's fun. Then another followed, flying out into the cavern, several more, several dozen, several hundred, thousands of them, and the noise was deafening. Awesome. I love a scarab beetle. I think they're fantastic. I always think of uh, when we went to uh, Fort Davis and we were hanging out in the mountains there. And oh, yeah. Beautiful, golden. and Well, they're iridescent. They're like golden, but they have that green right. from a different angle and that they're all these different colors. They're so, irid- they're so beautiful. They just kind of fly all around and very gently will like land on you and then like move on and yeah. like all around and it was that was really beautiful yeah, i yeah. always think of that i always think of that's that was such a that's such a wonderful moment in time for me when i think of that it's just very peaceful lovely beautiful resplendent nature and so here it's just like this horrible thing that's thousands happening, of them like, yeah for me i'm just like no oh, they're so cool though uh, back with the army guys they start seeing the persian soldiers the warriors coming up Flesh hanging in strips, indistinguishable from their linen rags. They advanced upon the living, breathing soldiers under his command. So they start firing on them. And it's working, right? Like, they're able to just, like, blow them all away. Like, they're basically just dust or whatever. So as long as they have ammunition, you know, they can just keep firing on them. The first wave of dead soldiers fell to the ground. Limbs and weapons tumbling to the sand and grass obliterated harmless but there were so many more where that came from so as we open up chapter 16 you know i thought this was kind of interesting because you know they've got their wagon train circle defense and they're like this is actually working like we're just blowing these guys away right but what's happening is so they kill all these first wave of soldiers and it leaves like a like almost like a like a wall for the next wave to get behind and then the next wave can get a little closer and then they all get killed so then it leaves another wall even closer you know what i mean like the dead bodies themselves there are thousands of them they're actually working to the advantage of the lost army because they're like creating their own defenses that they can hide behind from the bodies of the ones that are going before them does that make sense yeah that was like really awesome like once that starts happening it says morale slipped and it starts getting dark too so they're like fuck you know what i mean they're getting increasingly closer they're not stopping and now it's getting dark Cregan is starting to think that none of this is going to work and it gets really intense like these are parts of the book where like it's really worth it to listen to the audiobook or actually Mm -hmm. go through this because golden really creates some very tense moments you know and he describes it really well there was no denying what they were once he had seen them instead of thinking about it and trying to deal with something so irrational in a rational manner colonel shapiro did the only thing left for him to do he screamed fire as yeah. loud as he could. Yeah, really. I mean, what else can you do, right? Golly. So as this is going on, Rickman is there. Remember, we were t- so Rickman is like the right-hand guy. He's the one with the good ideas all the time. Rickman, he calls over to Cregan, and they see that a new mound, a new corpse mound had formed half a dozen yards from the vehicle of circles. Not like corpse mound. And they're like, oh, no, this is too close. One of the dead men launched over himself with surprising strength over the hill and into the trench between the cadavers and vehicles. Cregan also notices that they seem stronger now. When Hellboy fought them, they would just turn into dust, but now they're kind of like more powerful. They're being driven by this force. Soldiers cranked up their vehicle's engine and turned spotlights onto the oncoming dead. The night had come, and so had the true struggle, a hopeless struggle, Cregan told himself, and then fought against the pessimism. And then he hears somebody scream. He looks over, and it's Rickman. He's been gone through with a giant axe. It says, a beautifully inscribed crescent-shaped battle axe. So 
last week I theorized that one of these two guys was going to die. I was like, either Cregan or Rickman or both of them is going to die. And so, yeah, it had to be Rickman. And Cregan picks up his gun and he just keeps fighting. He gets on top of the tank turret. The real slaughter began. So that makes me think of like classic zombie movies or something like that where you have to get up on top of the truck. Yeah. You know, and you're shooting down and all of them coming up and stuff like that. Like that's how real it is for these guys right now. Back with Hellboy and everything that's going on there. So the Scarab Beetles are coming in and they're just like feeding on everybody. On the followers of Hazred and Hazred himself. They were gnawing the flesh from the bones of his worshippers. The great equalizer. Thousands of Scarab Beetles. (laughs) And they also land on Hellboy, but he notices they won't bite him. Mm. He has to be Marty Koo's living host after all. It wouldn't do to damage him. Uh. Some guys have all the luck, he grumbled. <laughs> Hazred, he's getting eaten by all the beetles or whatever, the scarabs. And so he gets this like bright orange light or magic or whatever. And he's able to like get the scarabs away from him. Hellboy's still concerned with Anastasia. And now that Hazred is occupied trying to keep himself alive, Hellboy's easily able to like break out of the chains. You know, I guess the magic that Hazred was using. He's not, he's not focused on Hellboy yeah. anymore over here. So Hellboy's like, Anastasia. And she's like, Hellboy. And he's like, Anastasia. <laughs> and she's like, Hellboy, over here. We gotta get out of here. No shit. With all this that's happening, the light is pulsing now. So there's been this pool that we've been talking about, especially in the last couple set of chapters. It's got this green light coming from it. Hellboy starts thinking, like, what is it with this Sumerian sorcerer turned elder god anyway it occurred to him that hazred might not have finished the spell that marty Koo might have jumped the gun by sending his hungry little scarab beetles hazred was too terrified to speak never mind finish any spell so i like this too like something didn't go right yeah you know what i mean like something fucked yeah. up like for all this like five thousand years that they've been waiting and these people have been living underground sure. and this is his blessing that he's going to bring marty Koo back and all this kind of stuff and then, like, at the very end, like, some shit fucked up. They didn't communicate right. They didn't turn their keys at the same time or whatever. So there's a moment where Hellboy, he really wants to get Hazred. He's the one that killed everybody. He's, it's his fault for all of this. But then he has to go help Anastasia because now the Scarabs are getting all over her. And they're starting to bite her all over the face and stuff like that. So he tells her to get into the water and she jumps in. And they kind of talk about, we're going to have to, you know, he saw the tunnels. We saw that in the last chapter. He saw the tunnels underwater. So he knows that they're going to have to swim out some way like that. Maybe we should go now, she asks. And it says, his fear for her safety had been almost overwhelming near the end. It wasn't over yet, but just being free, knowing he could protect her, made him feel so much better. Good idea, he replied, and kissed her on the forehead. No romance in the kiss. Well, maybe perhaps a trace but the love of a vital friendship. So yeah, there is this whole kind of thing because all this crazy stuff is happening and Hellboy's like super powered and all this kind of stuff, but he's got to protect her. Have you ever played a game where you have to like escort somebody who has no powers Ugh, and they're, the they have nothing and you, yeah, you know what and I mean? They it's kind so of so slow. And it's kind of like, you know, that line that it said, his, his fear of protecting her was almost overwhelming, like, you know, I thought that that was a good description of the situation that he must be in sure. right here. So they do talk about, like, how long of a swim is this going to be? That might be a problem, she says, thinking about how long she's going to have to hold her breath. Can he, like, drag her with the tail? Just, just like, latch your tail around her well, and drag Well, we'll talk her. about it. That's, that's kind of what ends up happening. In the middle of all this, they look over at the altar. They see Hazred over there, and he's, like, buckling and spasming. Even from that distance, Hellboy could see that he was bleeding from his eyes. And then all of a sudden, he had a different voice. It was the voice of Marty Koo. So now Marty Koo has come back through Hazred. And he starts, like, finishing the spell or whatever. He starts saying all this stuff. They dwell within the caverns of the earth. Amid the desolate places of the earth, they live. Amid the places between the unknown and heaven and earth. So he's continuing with the spell or he's trying to pick up where Hazred left off. And Hellboy's like, give me a friggin' break. He tells Anastasia, stay here. She's like, where are you going? I've got a few frustrations and hostilities to work out, he says. So we do get a good little battle here. Because at first I thought that this guy was going to totally get away. And I guess it's not even him. It's not even really Hazred now. It's Marty Koo or whatever. But we do get a fight scene 
which is pretty cool. Marty Koo grabs Hellboy by the throat and lifts him off the ground, and Hellboy like headbutts him. His skull knocked against the sorcerers with an echoing crack. That's actually just an awesome image to see. I know, yeah. He's lost his temper. He's over the edge. Now you've really pissed me off. The sorcerer tries to grab Hellboy by the throat, but he just knocks his hand away. He punches him with a stone fist. Hazred's head snapped back, cracked against the granite platform, bounced. (laughs) I thought that was pretty messed up. Hazred starts levitating off the ground, and Hellboy's like, oh, no you don't, right? And he, like, jumps up. He grabs him by the ankles, crushing the bones with a sound like crumbling plaster. Hazred tried to speak again, but Hellboy crushes his windpipe. And then he just, like, bashes him with the right hand of doom. I imagine if this was a comic book, there would be a big boom right here. And the sorcerer's face exploded in a spray of sand and bone under the force of the blow. It kind of reminded me of a lot of the other Hellboy villains where you beef it up to be some big thing. And then, like, they end up just, like, yeah, pawning themselves or whatever. You, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't work out. And yeah. People like Hazred who think they're going to control this thing and enslave the world. Dumb. They just get their eyes eaten by a bunch yeah. of beetles and shit like that. Like, you know what I mean? It always happens. It's, I like that they didn't take the conventional route where now there's going to be a big, I don't know. Sure. You know what I yeah. mean? It just kind of, the plan just, just kind of sabotaged itself. <laughs> when Hellboy finally defeats Hazred slash Marty Koo, then there's a loud rumbling and everything starts like shaking. There's like a huge earthquake. Now everything's going to shit. And so there was this giant cathedral, and the pinnacle, it starts cracking and falling apart, and then that's when they realize the pinnacle, it was holding up the actual support of the whole cavern. So now everything is starting to fall apart. And Hellboy kind of feels bad for all the people, because they're all getting, like, smashed, and all they're running around all scared, but he couldn't, not after all they had done. So he's watching all this. And a hunk of stone hits him on the head. It's Anastasia. What the bloody hell are you waiting for? He's like, good question. How long can you hold your breath? He asked. It'll have to be long enough, she replied. Time to find out what that source of the glow really was. Chapter 17. We're back with Colonel Shapiro and Kriegan. Now they're shoulder to shoulder fighting together. Ah, they punched her a bit. Now they're mates. Yes. And there's only 50 or so humans left. So you think about this, like there were hundreds of soldiers. Now there's only 50 guys. They're just like picking up weapons from the ground. They're not even their weapons. They're just whoever's weapons and trying to keep firing on the lost army. And it, But it says that up above the storm had died down. The eyes were gone from the sky. And Cregan here, it says, deep within Captain Cregan was a white hot core of rage, which held the chill of despair at bay. Surrender would have been so simple, but he had never been anything like simple, no matter what anyone else said. The Lost Army, these zombies are closing in, and one of them gets this guy to his left, so Cregan pulls his gun. He's about to unload on this soldier. In the eye blink before he moved, a snow-white mist, shapeless, featureless, quickly it shifted, coalescing into the shape of a woman, but translucent, floating weightless yet in control of its movements. This wraith extended one arm, fingers like long tendrils, wrapped around the Persian soldier's neck. The ghost's other hand clamped itself on the dead soldier's head and ripped it off. (laughs) Good Christ, Cregan shouted, awestruck. But the ghostly woman smiled at him, and he recognized her at once, Lady Catherine Lambert. Ah. So um, I kind of like this because uh, if you're thinking about it like a movie, this poor actress would have just been a disgusting head for the whole thing. Right. So at least at the end, she gets to come back and be all beautiful still and be like, this is how I really looked when I was alive. Well, but she's a ghost, but still. She's yeah. a pretty ghost. Well, and kicking ass, too. She's kicking you know, ass. Like she's kicking a, ghost powers. She's a beautiful ghost kicking ass with ghost powers. And it was not just her, but other members of her expedition who had died were also invading the clearing. 20 powerful ghosts. Yeah. They had a score to settle. Yeah. And so Shapiro's like, what the hell are they? And Cregan's like, they're on our side. He's but he but this is the guy who didn't know anything about right but he he's adapted so quickly like that's a common trope where like people are like but it can't be we right. talked about this last it's week so annoying it's kind of refreshing to have this guy like, who oh, just yeah, goes, okay, okay sure. yeah great Ghosts. yeah i i get it now sounds good 
After all, the cavalry may have come, but it remained to be seen if they would be able to turn the tide. Again, this, I mean, this is Lords of the Rings here when the ghosts come in and they're like... I was thinking about that, but it wasn't we're like... We're sex mocking and now over no. here. Well, I, I was thinking about the ghosts in Return of the King as well. Yeah. Really? Okay. Because yeah. I was thinking like that was a little different situation. Is it that? Um, well, I mean, it's di- different situation. how they got there, but... I mean... But same. it was a ghost army shows up it's to help turn the tide. The, yeah, the but I, I also think that um, I think that well, and I was going to get to this a little later, you know. But there is a lot of this in the Hellboy stories of the spirits can't rest and they're trapped somewhere, and so sometimes the spirits come and help the heroes or something like that, so they can finally be free or whatever. And then like in the Hellboy comics, it's always like the little birds coming out of the jars yeah. and stuff like that. And here at the end of this, spoiler, we're gonna get we're gonna get something kinda like sure, that right. too. So I hold your oaths fulfilled. Sure. <laughs> That's what he said. I hold your oath fulfilled. Back with Hellboy and Anastasia. So Hellboy sees the the stone tablet in the water when he's down there. He's like, oh yeah, that stone tablet. And Lady Catherine told him that they would need it. She's been right about everything so far, so he goes and he grabs it. And as they're there in the water, remember, like, everything's crashing and going to shit. And then they're in these underwater tunnels. So, like, all the water and the current is all fucked up, too. It strengthened dramatically. Also, monsters live in there. But there's also this line, he hadn't wanted to admit it to himself before, but there was no way that Anastasia could hold her breath long enough to swim out on her own. And with his hooves, he wasn't the best swimmer in the world himself. He didn't even know how far they had to go. So he tries to calculate, like... How far down was the lake monster? And then he's like, oh, I suck at math. Math is bad. (laughs) So there's a lot of panic there. And it does talk about here like he's pulling her. He's got the tablet in one hand and he's got her in the other. So he's not pulling her with the tail, but he is trying to like get her through the water, I think, as quickly as he can. All of a sudden, a tentacle whips out from the green glowing cave. It's the lake monster from earlier. Remember the one that Hellboy blinded? He dropped that flashbang on it. And, um, God, what was that, the second episode? Yes. Um, I forgot what chapter that was, but we did talk about the lake monster. There were some great illustrations. And so it's down there, and it's got all its eggs, babies. Oh. A cluster of bulbous green spheres. So this reminded me also of, like, the Ogdruhem type stuff, because they'll have, like, all the sacks of eggs. And all the weird, gross stuff. Yeah. And there's a moment where Hellboy's like, he kind of feels bad because he's like, oh, it's just like a mother protecting its eggs. Right. But then he also is like, but I don't want there to be a bunch of those things. Well, I mean. So this is where the stone tablet comes in handy. He kind of holds it up and it seems like it keeps the monster at bay, right? That's how they're able to pass through. Is that what happens here? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I was wondering like, what is it for? Like, that's what the stone tablet was needed for? Was just so they could, I guess, defeat that monster, or they could at least keep it at bay long enough where they could get out? Yeah, I think so, because remember, he when he, when he removed the tablet, uh, that's when the monster came out in the first place. So. Oh, right, right, okay. Oh, so that was, yeah, that totally makes sense. Whatever that was, that was keeping it from coming up through that hole in the ground. Yeah. Right. But then he looks over at Anastasia, and she's drowning. So I was like, ugh, that sucks. We go back up with Colonel Shapiro and Cregan. There's only 20 men left, maybe fewer. So Shapiro has this action moment here. He's got the S-80 in his hands, but it, it jams on him. And two Persian zombies come at him. And so he has like a fight with them. And so he gets one of them really good. He turned to face the other, but it was too late. The dead Persian warrior's axe split through Shapiro's chest, embedding itself irretrievably in his ribcage. Blood fountain up from the wound onto the face of his attacker. Yikes. Mm. That sucks, man. I liked Colonel Shapiro. I kind of liked him. He was dumb, but, you know. Yeah. And Cregan seems like he's upset by this, you know, and they hated each other. But he's like, no, you know, he's like, damn you. The race had not turned the tide, only prolonged the inevitable. They were all going to die. Of that, Cregan was now quite certain. There is um, this kind of one final scene where they kind of wrap up the cavern. I thought this was interesting because Hellboy and Anastasia aren't there anymore. None of the characters are there, but it just like yeah, describes like what that. happened. I thought it was kind of neat. So there's only like seven people left of this underground race. Everything's been destroyed, and the ground shaking. At the center of the cavern, eight feet from the heaving, shattered stone floor, was a hole in the world. 
A hole in the fabric of universal reality, edges burning, crinkling, diminishing. So it's just interesting, like, eight feet up from the floor in this cave where almost no one is in it, there's this hole in reality. Right, like, I just right, love yeah. picturing that. I thought that yeah, was Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, so stuff. that closed up, like, that hole that they were conjuring, I guess, for Mardi Coup to come through. That's good stuff. That, and, and then the whole cavern just fills... It says, the roof of the cavern finally gave way, thousands of tons of rock and earth sliding, pouring down to fill the massive natural chamber. The floor of the cavern buckled and quaked and surged up to meet the falling roof. It is said that nature abhors a vacuum. This is an idiom attributed to Aristotle, the Greek philosopher. It is used to express the idea that empty or unfilled spaces are unnatural as they go against the laws of nature and physics. Mm. And the horrid orange light also winks out. So yeah, all that closes up. The shockwave might have resulted from the convulsions of the Earth or the repulsion of Mardi Coup. There would never be any way to tell. Back with Anastasia, she's drowning. She's aspirating water into her lungs, which is not good. Right, and Hellboy is frantically trying to swim away from the light and the lake monster. And then all of a sudden the shockwave hits. So when the ground like collapsed and all that the water pressure is increased and they go flying through the tube and they actually fly up into the air out into the open lake and hellboy drags anastasia to the shore but she's not moving back with cregan they also hear the loud sound too it says he stood in a rough circle with five other men now there's only six guys left Mm. then he heard the explosion if that's what it was oh god someone shouted behind him He went to attack a soldier, but there was no sword, no dead Persian soldier attacking. In the instant of the explosion, the rest of them, all that remained of the lost army of Cambyses, imploded in a shower of sand and began to merge with the desert which had preserved them for so long. The spirits which had aided Cregan and his comrades retreated into the stretch of trees, which were still draped with their tattered entrails. So that's all Lady Catherine's team. They're going back over there. Cregan let his weapon fall, and without a word, he resigned his commission as captain. So as soon as, yeah. like, he's just like, I'm out. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm just going to be a regular man. Yeah. <laughs> man, that was messed up. Um, I'm out of here now. <laughs> but that is a common thing. Like, you take out that one guy, and then all the other guys, they don't have any more power. You know, they're all going to That's turn another in. trope. Yeah, you take out one guy and they all collapse on the ground. Like, but I like how they all explode into sand and then there's just no trace. Yeah. Because it's just all sand out there. I thought that was kind of neat. How many movies, though, have we seen that where like, oh, we we got rid of this object or person and then the rest of the army immediately collapses. I mean, that wasn't that like Avengers. But wh- how many had you yeah. seen in 1997, oh, yo? okay. All right. Uh, I feel like it, I've seen more, but I feel like this one, though, was set up should be that way because we knew that they were being powered by the wizard so i'm okay with this particular trope i'm not but saying like, whether or not you're okay with it that's fine but I just the avenger mean like, but the avenger one i don't know how that one that one was kind of weird i'm just <laughs> saying i'm just saying I, I whatever you can be okay with it who did it first i don't care i'm just saying how many movies have you yeah, seen where that lot. happens it's a lot so there's a scene where hellboy he's doing cpr and I had to wonder, like, how is he doing that with the right hand of mm, doom? Yeah. Like, he's got to be so careful. Is he, is he just using, like, one finger I, and then his left hand? Maybe he's just using his left hand. I mean. Okay. You know. I would assume just using yeah. his left yeah, hand. Yeah, because otherwise he no, just, like. Crush her yeah. immediately. And it works. Yeah, there you she, go. Ch- she coughs up the water. Her eyes flutter open. Oh, we get a great illustration here of the army exploding into dust. I like that one. That's really cool. So, Anastasia, she looks up at Hellboy. She's still really weak. She can't even sit up. Yeah, she needs to go to the hospital. That's You can't aspirate water into your lungs and be okay. She says, what happened? He says, I guess I started some kind of chain reaction. Bloody well right you did, she teased. Of course you know you obliterated the archaeological discovery of the century. Hey, he said, shrugging his shoulders. Somebody had to do it. <laughs> nice. So I like this. It kind of reminded me of Macoma. I don't mm. know if you remember that one. They find this ancient skeleton in these ruins in the desert, and they go, hey, Hellboy, come over and look at this. And so he looks at the skeleton. It tells him this amazing story, which is the comic Macoma, and then when it's over, it just crumbles to dust. And then it says, Hellboy was never allowed in the archaeological society ever again, or something like that. (laughs) So 
that's not the first time he's destroyed sure. um, some archaeological artifact or whatever. In the epilogue, Anastasia rags on him about his goatee. Yeah. She says it's so 50s. And he's like, well, I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. Uh, it's going to be, we're grateful. We're not going to see each other for a long time. It's bittersweet. Oh, man. Yeah, and it says um, here, it's uh, Hellboy, Anastasia, Cregan, and four other men. So that's it. That's mm, all the people geez. from the army, yeah. the MI5, the expedition, everybody. There's only those those few people left. And they hear the helicopters coming and we see Liz and the BPRD arrive. Nice. And so I thought this was interesting because it mentions um, they just finished their mission. Remember they were going to McGoldrick's Castle or something like that in Scotland? Right. They like, had their own little adventure. There's there. a whole other story that was happening <laughs> yeah. while this was happening. I, I want to know that. That's I think great. that would be cool to know, you know, or to get some insight on. There's a whole other story that we don't even know about. It says, Hellboy felt a familiar relief when Abe and Liz followed his mentor out of the chopper. His family had arrived. He was going home. The prospect was decidedly bittersweet. I like that. They're all like, hey, hey there, hi. Yeah, Liz is pumped to see him. She's trying to beckon him in the chopper. And Abe's like waving at him and Broom just smiles. And then there's another line here that says uh, he broom fussed over him like any anxious parent. So there's a lot of family going on here. Yeah, I like that. And it's, you know. I'm going to miss you, Hellboy says, Anastasia, even more than before, I think. Me too, she said, but I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. Hellboy smiled. Okay, but next time I'd settle for dinner and a movie. Anastasia grinned, reached up, and pulled his head down towards her. She kissed him firmly on the mouth, let her lips linger over his, a memory for both of them. I love you, big guy, she said, always will. In all the ways that matter, you're my best friend. And you're mine, he told her. Why else would I keep saving your life? And so she punches him on the shoulder. They have a little chuckle. That's like where the audience goes, ooh, I guess. Like on the sitcoms yeah. or whatever. They finally have their kiss at the end so hellboy he goes up to the professor and professor broom is like what's that hellboy realizes that he still has the tablet Uh. so he goes over he gives it to the un investigative team what is it the guy shouted to be heard over the helicopter found it in the lake hellboy replied it might be the only artifact not destroyed by the cave-in other than the weapons and stuff and so the guy's like he looks at the inscription and he's like what does it say No swimming, Hellboy replied. He turned and climbed into the helicopter. When it lifted off, carrying him away from the oasis, his smile was bittersweet. And we get a little illustration of Hellboy looking out the helicopter. Yeah. (laughs) That was pretty good. Hellboy the Lost Army. So, yeah, what did you think about that? What did you think about the big uh, anti-climactic Marty Coup thing? Like, you know, I I, kind of like that. Their plan kind of bumbled, and they fucked each other over, and it didn't really work out. And Hellboy was just able to, like, grab him out of the sky and just bash his head in (laughs) until he was dead. So, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, I thought it it was kind of messed up how many people died, though. Sure. Like, you know, like, you think about, like... um, I don't know. I can't help but think of like, oh, Man of Steel. They're right. like, oh my God, Superman killed so many people. And it's like, <laughs> if this was a movie, you'd be like, holy shit, like how many people died, in right. the, you know, or whatever, in a, quote unquote, innocent people. Like, But I mean, in Hellboy, that's not uncommon. That happens sure, a Sure, no, I guess, I guess you're right. Thing. And even in the movies, they do show like agents, like uh, a lot of the agents coughing it. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Um, As far as like a book, if I had never seen or read anything about hellboy at all and i just picked this up and i was like what's this and i read it i don't know as interesting i'm not sure if i would have finished it i don't know if okay. i would have really read it and it's not to say that it's bad again i'm coming in at this from the angle of i don't know if this is particularly for me i did like the stuff with hellboy going down into the cave and the whole you know thing with marty coop not going the way they planned because that's that's tends to happen a lot in hellboy stories and yeah. that's actually pretty cool I could have done without the entire Lahiri plot, the the horny plot. But we already talked about that. But I could have done without the soldiers on the outside part because that actually did nothing for me. To take your point, Aubrey, like I think that they were trying to build up the Cregan guy to be like a good character. And I thought he was a good character. I kind of got attached to that character. I did like the way he was written in his whole character arc. But I think like 
he could have also easily been like a member of the BPRD, right? Or like yeah. even like a, um, I know they hadn't even created Daimyo yet, but think of like a Ben Daimyo, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Instead of him, you know, you kind of have two factions of the Hellboy team going at it, or something like that. That might have. But if the book is called The Lost Army and you don't care about the Lost Army at all, like what are you doing? <laughs> That's the part, right? You know? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you could have moved Cregan's story into the caves and like maybe he was like, maybe he had like 10, 20 men to fight off this army in a bottleneck situation kind of thing. I want to say, I, I thought it was kind of the, the part where they're like, you're my best friend and you're my best yeah, friend. Man. And I was just like, all of a sudden it's like, uh, in, I hear Ron Howard from Rest of Development in my head as the narrator going, and they never saw each other yeah. again. They weren't. Yeah. And it's, you know, I like the illustrations. Yeah, I mean, like, I didn't hate it, but it definitely was not. No, my yeah, favorite. there's no hate. And yeah. again, I know I sound really critical, but that's just because we've read so much awesome stuff that it's like at some point I have to put them into right. ascending and descending order. Like at some point I have to say, well, I didn't like this one as much as whatever else. And so at some point in however many years we've been doing this, I have to say this one wasn't as good. Yeah, as no, the other yeah, stuff fine. we've read, and I don't know, it just really wasn't well, my favorite. Well, and, and comparing personally, it, personally, comparing it to the limited amount of books that we read, you probably Bones of Giants was better, right. a better oh, experience. I much think. better. Um, I love. I I actually enjoyed Bones. Of right, Giants. Like Christopher yeah, Golden can write. Like I like Bones there, of Giants was great. There is stuff that Christopher Golden writes that I'm like, this is great, and I love it. So I'm not, you know, obviously this yeah. is not a criticism of Christopher Golden. This is just, it's not even a criticism. It's just like I personally, this wasn't for me. Sure. And yeah. if someone does like it, great. That's great. More power to you. I think that's uh, – we're not trying to say you don't like good stuff. Obviously, you're free to like what you like, and that's great. And I'm totally all for that. I encourage you to do that. And I – um, you know, and I've I've read so many books in general that at some point right. I have to be like, this one's not as good as the <laughs> other books I've read. Yeah. It's just – it's fine sure. for me to say that. So it, it wasn't my favorite. It can be yours, and that's cool. We're cool with that. Like what you like, and feel good about it. Um, yeah, I yeah. personally, there are other books yeah. that I like more, and that's just me. And I think for me, I, I I do agree with both of you guys in terms of your feedback on the book, and I I do think that I liked um, Bones of Giants better compared to this one. I was just so curious to get into this sure. Anastasia Bronzefield story. No, though. of course. And that's... I was like, I want to as a completionist and as someone who's like, yeah. The the whole point of this book club for me is. I want to read everything, including the stuff yeah. that I haven't read, right. and draw all those lines that I haven't drawn before, and gain a new understanding it's in the to know that realms Hellboy... of nerddom. And so I it's wanted good to, know to know that Hellboy had a girlfriend. I, I want to know this. Oh yeah, there was that time when they were in Egypt, you know, and the Persian army and the Libyan war and all that kind of stuff. And sure. like, I just like having experienced that rather than just read like a Wikipedia or a Goodreads about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, experience it for myself. And I'm also glad that we went through this experience because um, Wayne Mitchell was yes. awesome on the audiobook. And I, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that for, for all the criticisms of what, what we may think of the book, the audiobook is enjoyable and it just adds a whole other level to the kind of reading experience, I thought. He's an excellent voice actor. I very much did enjoy his yeah, performance, so, for sure. So yeah. that was a that was something that, you know, kind of came out of this that maybe is apart from the actual book and art, but is still yeah. a way that you can enjoy it that I think um, no, has a lot great. of value. great. Yeah, Wayne Mitchell is great. Um, excellent, oh. excellent voice actor and uh, really enjoyable performance. Good stuff. I like the way he uh, would say Marty Koo as yeah. Hazred. He'd be like, Marty Koo. Yeah. yeah, he does do <laughs> that. Like, that's so it's awesome. Good stuff, man. He <laughs> it really, really went good. all out. Yeah, he did a really cool voice for also when Marty Koo possesses Hazred. Uh, yeah. He oh, yeah. does like almost yeah. a different voice on top of that one. It was really cool. It was really interesting the amount of uh And I typically don't listen to audiobooks. Right. So this for me the y'all kept going on about how awesome it was. and so I was like, you know, I gotta listen to this and so I'm glad I did. Um that was definitely a new experience for me, but it was um he did a great job. Yeah. He did a great oh, yeah. job. Yeah, so that was also very cool. And then hey, Hellboy had a, a serious girlfriend. That's great. Yeah. I think that's great. It's good to know. And Christopher Golden still really sneaks in a lot of phrases that I very much appreciated. You know, you can see that shining through still 
in various places. Um, he's got a way with words, obviously, or else he wouldn't be such a yeah. successful writer. He's yeah. good, you know he's good at what he does. So I'm glad that we read because, like you said, just from a completionist aspect of it, it's uh, we're reading all the Hellboy. We comics did that, and even yeah. some actual that's something books. we read. <laughs> so that's awesome. Well, great. I'm excited that we got to wrap that yeah. up. And like you said, like the illustrations were great. Oh yeah, yeah like some, those some artwork I had never seen before from Mignola's catalog. So that's really cool. I've been curious about this book because everybody keeps talking about Anastasia Brownsfield. Right. So now, now I know. Now we know. So. Nice. Yeah, and um, I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of the book. Um, if you checked out the audiobook, I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Make sure to check out Andrew Dare's music on our link tree. We'll have another great episode next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. We just finished another actual book on the Hellboy <laughs> Book Club podcast. It's uh, two now. Have, have, have you guys read it? Uh, what were your thoughts on it? Send us a hey damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on our Instagram and Twitter. And also, uh, if you want, uh, you can leave us a rating in iTunes. Just open up your app and just, you know, give us a rating. Awesome. As is always, a special thank you to Paul from Garchahan for the uh, wonderful theme music. Thank you, Mark, for helping with the reading order. Thank you, John. For making us sound amazing and wonderful. And thank you, Danielle, for being awesome and amazing. <laughs> you can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Next week, we might have a little bit of a surprise for you guys. Oh, awesome. I wonder what that's going to be about, Aubrey. I wonder. So, just you're going to have to tune in to next week's episode to find out oh. on the Hellboy Book of Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying... Listen, you know Hellboy's reputation. You know what he does. Accept it now, or we're all dead. Jeez, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> the Lost Army. Oh,